There is an old story of a hunchback, and I already love the story right off the bat, but there's an old story of a hunchback who inherits a farm. When he arrives there, he seeks to take this run-down farm and make it into a huge success. So he works day and night, all of his might, all of his strength, all of his energy, all of his finances go into this farm. But despite his painstaking efforts, his crops began to wither, his beloved animals began to die, and he himself began to pass away. Why? Because there was no water. There was no water. And just as the hunchback was about to give up all hope, he discovered by way of dousing, which was meaning he was able to discover water beneath the land, and in a fury, he decided, I'm just going to explode the ground. We're going to explode the ground and get this water out of here as fast as possible. And as he explodes the ground, a rock from the explosion falls on top of his head and takes his life. It's a real pick-me-up of a story. <laughs> but it, it takes his life, but in his final words... His final words, the hunchback cries out, I failed to see that water was the one problem. I failed to see the water. See, I wonder if the dying words of our hunchback here is relevant to the church. If it's relevant to Christianity. If it's relevant to our own lives. That being a failure to see water, a failure to see the water. Let me build on this point. Many of us, I can assume and probably safely assume, are probably or maybe dissatisfied. Some might be terribly dissatisfied with the church at large, especially within the United States. Dissatisfied with a stale, uh, parched, spiritual life, perhaps. Asking, is this all there is? Wondering, is this all there is? Something is wrong. Something is missing in the church, in my life, in my discipleship, in my community. And again, I just want to pose the question, what if, though, that something missing is actually someone missing? I'm going to allow my buddy, Evangelist Billy Graham, to say it. He says, everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all what they'd expected, and they often have reoccurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. Maybe that's somebody here tonight. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit, like a farmer in need of water. Collective church, the most desperate need within our lives is that the person of the Holy Spirit be received as a gift through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, because of this desperate need, as Lorenzo alluded to, we are taking the next five weeks— We're taking the next five weeks to discuss and apply in our discipleship groups, to teach and preach from the pulpit, to make the aim of our church our immense need for the living water that is the Holy Spirit. That is going to happen the next five weeks. Now, this won't be a typical Holy Spirit series. 
meaning we're not going to be talking you know, so much about you know, the, the pneumatology of this or the pneumatology of that, or I would even say we're not going to be spending hours kind of like trying to break down the, Trinian, you know, the Trinitarian nature of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, even though we affirm and believe that here. We will be spending our time for the next five weeks taking a gathering and talking about power. When we say, empower us, the Holy Spirit, bring the power, what are we saying? That's a fun Christianese word, power. We're going to spend a Sunday talking about intimacy. We're going to spend a a Sunday talking about gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. What the heck is tongues and, and, and the alike? And then tonight, we're going to talk about life and desperation, like a man in the desert who is, who is in great need of water. Because Collective Church, I just want us to hopefully realize, if this has not already been said or if we don't already know this, we are unbelievably desperate. We are to be unbelievably desperate, both as a church but also as Christians. And if anybody's saying right now, no, I'm good, then I say gently but I say firmly, then you're unaware. Then you're unaware. We're so desperate that I'd like to invite mission members, those who call Collective Church their home church, anybody, for the next four weeks starting the following Sunday, 15 minutes after the gathering ends, we're all going to go crowd into the coffee house and pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Whatever we are talking about that Sunday, we're going to go pray for it immediately immediately following the service, 15 minutes. It'll be a shorter time, but we want to do this corporately. Everybody's invited. Everybody's invited because I want us to see that we have an incredible need. So I would encourage you to make it a point to be there, to put that on your calendars or whatever. It won't take too long, but we're going to say it's extremely important for us as a church. So why are we doing this? Why do we have these prayer meetings? Why do we go through this series about the Holy Spirit? Because I, I believe the real tragedy of the hunchback story was that there was a river flowing beneath him all along. That's the tragedy of the hunchback story. Desperate, yet unaware. Desperate and unaware, I think, have to be the most heartbreaking of dispositions. So we pray and we do this series to fight off the monster of unawareness. Uh, collective church, I believe it would be catastrophic for us as a Christian community to affirm the Holy Spirit as doctrinal truth. Yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit. But then to have a functional denial of the reality of his presence, his power, and his personhood, resulting in Christians who are equipped. Yes, we're equipped, but we're not empowered. A functional denial, but an affirmation of truth is a church which is determined, let's do something, but not discerning. It would be a church which is like super uber scriptural, but not spiritual. That is to watch our farm wither and die. See, a man or a woman apart, apart from the living waters is in the shallows. A church, you and me, apart from the Holy Spirit is in distress. So from this series, now hear me, we've been praying this back, we were just praying this, this is huge, the, the worship team, the prayer team, we were just praying this, that we would not just seek some sort of spiritual fix. Oh, fun little spike about the Holy Spirit, then let's move on. We do not want a spiritual fix. We don't want some light sprinkling or even an experience for an experience's sake. 
our hope and our prayer, and please make this your prayer as well for those note takers, whoever you might be, God bless you. But here, what we're looking for is sustained, permanent immersion in the awareness, person, and work of Holy Spirit. In fact, it was Jesus' words, which are so sobering in our verses today, regarding our desperation for the Spirit. I want us to read them together. You're all open to John chapter 6, but look at verse 60 of John chapter 6. Just a heads up, we're walking in on Jesus mid-conversation. He's talking super uber-heavy stuff with a bunch of people who are struggling to wrap their mind around what in the world is Jesus talking about. Like, what is happening? And then in verse 60, he says this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, or the disciples said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, verse 61, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man, that being Jesus, ascending to where he was before? And then here's this Christ, you know, Jesus' gravitas moment regarding the Holy Spirit, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. What in the world is he talking about? Super random, JC, right? See, now here, if you're here and not a Christian, if you're not a believer, first welcome, you're happy, we're happy you're with us. But I would say second, if we just sat with these words alone, just these words, not even the heavy stuff Jesus was talking about, if we didn't even got into the weird stuff yet, if we just sat with these words, I'm assuming, and I believe it's a safe assumption, that these words should and would be considered odd, bothersome, or offensive. I was, when I first heard them before I was a Christian, I was offended. I was not understanding. But I want to sort of poke around in here for a bit and sort of see what Jesus was getting at. See, he said right here, he just exposed, and this is, again, heavy. He just exposed that if you do not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you do not have true life. We just told a random group of people. Then he also just exposed that the meaning of life is himself and not you, not us. It's offensive, right? And that essentially no part of our intellect, our goodness, our personality, our morality, our strength can change that. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Jesus, now this is, this is huge, but I think Jesus is... is in comparing spirit and flesh, do you see what he's doing? In comparing these two, are we catching what he's doing? Spirit and flesh. He's comparing life versus life. That's what he's doing right here. A life of parched thirst versus a life of quenched satisfaction. In fact, in the very next chapter of John, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. We're building the point. You're going to get it. But without the Holy Spirit, we thirst. Without the Holy Spirit, we dry up. Without the Spirit, we die. No spirit, no life like water. Now for those here who don't know this, the Spirit and flesh both promise the same thing. I don't know if you guys knew that, but 
The spirit and flesh both promise the same thing, but only one can deliver. Only one can deliver. Pastor David Watson says this. I think this is a perfect quote for this. He goes, It is only the Holy Spirit who can quench the deepest thirst of the human heart because it is only the Holy Spirit who can show us the beauty of Jesus and fills us with the love of God. Indeed, we have drunk this glorious living water that will spoil our thirst for everything else. So the Bible most often shows us that we are in one of two places, spirit or flesh, living out of the spirit or living out of the flesh. And even right now in this moment, there is a war battling within you between spirit and flesh. Isn't that crazy? It's happening right now. The word of God is being preached and right now our flesh is resisting. Our flesh is resisting. And this will be happening the rest of the night. Two very strong opposing forces, the spirit and the flesh. And the flesh always desires what is contrary to the spirit. Always. A more digestible way to understand that would be the flesh always desires what is contrary to Christian discipleship. Always. Now for clarity, as we're going to be talking about flesh and spirit for a few minutes, clarity, when I say flesh, when the Bible talks about flesh, it's not meaning body. When Jesus talks about it, when Paul the Apostle in the New Testament talks about it, it's not demonizing our physical body. Oh, your body craves this. It's not what's happening. The flesh is the mindset of mankind, essentially, that it's this, that I'm going to be my own God. That's the flesh mindset. To be in total control. The flesh is against God in every way. Now, if we could just take a little pit stop here, and I would like to just speak to mission members, or again, those who call this their, their church community. If one finishes the book of Acts, like we did a couple weeks ago, one of the main things that we all, if you've been with us for a while, should walk away with, if not the, one of the most main, main things, but what we should walk away with is an unbelievable expectation of the Holy Spirit within the church. Church, we have, for the last three weeks, four weeks, been gearing ourselves towards greater and greater and greater risk as a church and as individuals. This has been the stirring and the calling that we've been feeling. If you were here last week, we try to really make that clear. These have been the direction of most of our recent talks, if you haven't noticed, but at the same time, I've spoken with many of you who would say, yes, it's happening with my own life. People stepping out to volunteer, people stepping out to talk to people about Jesus, people stepping out for mission membership, people stepping out for the first time and giving financially or being generous, so on and so forth. We're moving forward. So if our response to, yes, leave the familiar for the unfamiliar, take a risk, if that is our response and we say, sign me up. If we say, yes, that's what God wants for me. If we say, break us from safety, the only way that will be accomplished, and this is elementary, but it's crucial, is through the Spirit. It is by the Spirit, not the flesh. It can't, and it won't happen in one's strength, ability, talent, good looks. It won't happen. That is a failure to see water. Again, the flesh, to do things in our own strength. The flesh loves to help God. 
The flesh wants to help. So no, I got this. I got this. Take a back seat. I got this. Many of you know the story of Adam and Eve. Adam partaking of the fruit. It's a very famous story. Christian and unchristian know it. From the tree of knowledge. And that is mankind telling God what? I got this. God, I got this. I will now decide what is good and what is evil. That is what the Bible calls sin. That is what the Bible calls sin. Making choices in the flesh to gratify the flesh. So what's the remedy of a life versus walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh? A life of spirit or a life of flesh? What is the remedy to making sure that we can put away the flesh? How do we get this life that Jesus is talking about? How do we get the spirit? How do we possess this, a life that shall never thirst or hunger? Well, oddly enough, and I thought this was a cool point that Jesus makes, it's by flesh. It's by flesh. Look at verse 28. The heavy conversation that we walked up in the middle of with Jesus and his many followers, the people were asking the same question that I am posing now. Look at verse 28. Then they said, what must we do? What must we do? One more time. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Welcome, Chase. What must we do? Don't walk in late. (laughs) I'll call you out. Just joking, whatever. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Wrong question, right? What do we got to do, Jesus? Look how Jesus responds. Verse 29, that Jesus said to them, no, 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 this is the work of God. All these plans we have for next year, for ourselves, for us as a community, what do we got to do? This is the work of God. This is entirely the work of God. That you believe in him who he has sent. Verse 30, so they, said that, so they said to him, then what signs do you do that we may see and believe? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Incredible miracle. Bread was falling from the sky as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus, oh, he's so quick. It's, it's, uh, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, that, that, that bread wasn't from Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to us, Sir, give us, please give us this bread, always. We want that delicious, soft, warm-baked bread. They want it bad. Look at verse 35, though. Things get kooky. Jesus said to them, No, no, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Wait a minute. Where's he going with this? Where's the fresh sourdough? Hold on, Jesus. Hook us up with the bread. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In verse 56, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. No preacher, Bible teacher in the whole world wants to teach this because this is wild, right? 
If you're here and not a Christian, you might be thinking, nailed it, got it, freaks, I knew it. (laughs) Maybe. This is wild. Jesus just got done telling a bunch of people who claim total allegiance to him, I am the bread of life. And then Jesus goes as far as to say, if you want to live, you have to eat me. cannibalistic Jesus, like run. Then he says what? And we've already read this, but this is important to know. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So let me, let's just make this really clear. For Jesus, eating is believing. For Jesus, drinking is believing. He promises new life by the Spirit to those who believe in him. Believe what exactly? And we got to get this into our gut, our acceptance and our understanding that his flesh will be torn apart and his blood will be spilt. And from this tearing, from this splatter, the sacrifice will be paid in full. The penalty will be paid in full for all that sin we were just talking about. And Jesus in our verses tonight basically says, if my death, if my flesh being torn apart offends you, imagine what happens when I rise from the dead and I ascend to your Yahweh, my Father. That is offensive. Friends, this is the gospel. That is the gospel. And because of this gospel truth of incarnation, of Jesus in flesh, God with us, we can now have the reality of the Holy Spirit, God within us. You guys pick up on that? That took me a while to write. That is, that's that's a good word. Ethan, amen, maybe, anything? Absolutely, all right. We can now have the reality of the Holy Spirit, God within us. What was verse 56? He and me and I in him. This is, the the Holy Spirit is a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift, which means new life, new nature, new desires, new affections, new boldness. This is also called in other places of the Bible, regeneration. We're going to get into that in later weeks. Where the Spirit-given life is not just some inner change. Oh, I feel this warm burning sensation in my bosom. It's not just interchange, but this ushers in a whole new order into our reality. It's a gift. Some of you might remember the sweet words of Apostle Peter from the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2 from like two years ago. But he says in verse 38, Repent and, believe, uh, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the, given, for the, excuse me, for the forgiveness of your sins. And here it is. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I love about this, and get this, because it is a gift, because it is a gift of the gospel, that means his outpouring has zero relation to any of yours or mine qualities, merit, worthiness, or ambitions. The flesh has no help at all, it is a gift. When it comes to the question of merit and ability, the only person to merit who matters in this is Jesus. So the only thing we can offer or do with this is receive. 
It's a choice. That hit me this week really oddly sort of hard. Thinking about the study and thinking about Christianity and thinking about the day-to-day choice. But it, it just struck me that Christianity is a choice. You don't have to follow Jesus. But if then we say we want to, we believe that is what's right. We want to receive the promises of the gospel. Then the gift of the Holy Spirit changes everything about our life. See, it's a choice. See, we can receive or we can look at look at verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew him from knew him uh, from the beginning. That there were those who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, "This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father." Meaning, it's God who draws you in. Possibly, that could be happening with somebody right now. It's God drawing you in. Verse sixty-six. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Let's just think about this for a moment. It's, it's sort of mind-melting that one of the success stories of churches these days is attendance. Attendance, attendance, attendance. Not the Spirit's activity. We look at the church and we measure success by attendance in X, Y, and Z. But here we have Jesus Losing people, his attendance goes down because he is uncompromising. He's not trying to win anybody over. He does not add fluff to the gospel, to the church, to a life in the spirit. Now here's the thing though. This is where we start getting a little bit more practical. Here's the thing. If anybody here in all honesty doesn't want to grow spiritually, doesn't want to live biblically, doesn't want to care or be a part of the church in a meaningful way, then here's the truth. You do not need the Holy Spirit in your life. This is like your one-way ticket out. But, but to receive life by the Spirit and to live a life in the Spirit is a thirst for a rich prayer life, a flourishing marriage, a healthy single life, a strong sense of vocation and assurance with our identity, to be used to make an impact, to be transformed and to overcome, that only comes by the Spirit, period. There's no transformation of any kind apart from the Spirit of God. Zero. Let me give you a strong object lesson. I'm assuming the majority of people here are Christians and know who Peter, the apostle, is. Many of you probably remember him. He's one of the most famous disciples, but you remember him for constantly putting his foot in his mouth. He's one of the big, fun, sort of lovable screw-ups in the New Testament. I want us to think about Peter. He had countless, countless miracles before his eyes. Right? He daily walked with the greatest ever teacher, professor, rabbi to ever walk the earth, Jesus Christ. He had probably the most intense Christian community somebody could have with the other 11 disciples. In fact, in our verses, many, as, as any, many are leaving Jesus. It was Peter who exhibited loyalty. Look at verse 67. 
So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? That'd be a question for us right now as well. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him. Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That is a powerful proclamation. Yet, all that stuff in Peter's life, what did it do for him? Not enough. It did not do enough. See, when the Holy Spirit was doused on Peter and a bunch of other people at what was called Pentecost, the Spirit turned a frightened shell, fragile piece of china of a man into a rock. If you don't know this about Peter, he's the guy at like Jesus' passion when he's carried off to be crucified where a little girl came up to him and said, don't you follow Jesus? And he curses at her. A little girl comes up and he freaks out on her in the shadows and runs off. And now Peter, as we saw in the book of Acts, has newness of life. He's preaching to thousands of people with all boldness. And we are to watch and cry out, what happened? We're supposed to see Peter go from the gospels to the book of Acts and go, what in the world happened? How? What once was a failed disciple had been given the life of the Holy Spirit and rivers of living water came gushing out of him. Jesus had been with him, but now the Spirit was in him. I hope that we get this, that no amount of teaching or seminary or Bible study or knowledge or osmosis, Kansas spinach, Jedi council training compares to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If so, do we live like it? An old Methodist minister said, the Christian religion is hopeless. Man, the Christian religion is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. Do you, do we believe that? This applies to our life as well. It's not fun, you know, all the time to be a Bible teacher and constantly tell people their life is hopeless. But it is a beautiful thing and a beautiful occasion that I have to be able to tell you, but there's a remedy to hopelessness. If our life wasn't hopeless, then why would Jesus even send the Spirit? Like, think about this. And this is... This is a personal confession, but think about this. For two years, again, we've ventured through the book of Acts, right? You guys know that. We all did that together. We studied the power of the Holy Spirit. We studied the presence of the Holy Spirit. We studied his activity and the movement of him through men and women, doing extraordinary, like, Hollywood, Michael Bay, explosion-type things, right? But if we're honest, we read all that, and we study all that, and we just kind of intrinsically ask, and it's hard not to when we look at our own lives, we kind of go, what happened? Is this really, again, is this it? All of that exciting stuff and acts, and now, what's up? What happened to the church? What happened to Christianity? What happened? 
I truly, I, I truly do believe that the answer to that question is this. Our flesh. Meaning, have we settled for... Have we settled for a, less, you know, a lifeless church, a lesser God, an incompetent spirit, an anemic Christian life? No. We got good at Christianity. We got good at helping God. We thought God needed a, a PR manager. We settled for entertainment. Preachers who are, we settled for preachers who are far more creative than they are faithful. We settled for big lights. We settled to boil down Christianity to a Sunday experience rather than the Mondays and the Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We say things like a God-shaped hole rather than God-shaped life. No, I'll make room for God. God Right here, God. (laughs) We thought that the Spirit was sent to help us accomplish our will rather than His. I, this morning, I got up and I read a verse that just made me, full confession, bawl my eyes out. I'm probably going to cry here as I read it, but it, it hit me so hard. It's from the Old Testament. It's so gut-wrenching. It's from the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah, starting in verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, and I want us to hear and see God, his breaking heart. God asks, what wrong did your fathers find in me? They went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless. Verse 6. And they did not say, where is the Lord? Who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. No one was asking, where is the Lord? And in going about and searching for worthless things like the list we just read of Christianity, some of those horrible things, they themselves became worthless. This is what God is saying. Israel had lost the presence of God and not a single person noticed. Where is the Lord. Not a single person asked. If tonight we were to lay our heads on our pillows and in the morning awoke to a Bible where all the references of the Holy Spirit had somehow just magically disappeared. or somehow just gone, or never there, would it make a difference in our lives? Is it possible, collective church, is it possible, Christians, that we're so routined and structured in our cleverness, 
our energy, and our talents, that we no longer ask, where is the Lord? That we no longer ask, where is his spirit? That is a failure to see water. A river flowing beneath our feet. I'll close with this. I want to close with three benchmarks of a life in the spirit, a life dependence. And we can use them as diagnostics of sort. Maybe a litmus test for our life. The first will be prayer. We're going to spend a whole week on prayer and the Holy Spirit, but we're going to talk about it tonight. This is a great diagnostic of spirit dependence. If our prayer life is weak, then guess what? It means our flesh is strong. Tonight we have people who are going to be up against that back wall and that back wall. They're going to be wearing lanyards. They're going to be standing there. They want to pray for you that the Spirit would give life to our hollow bones, to the parched lands that we may be in. We want to pray for hidden sins, unconfessed sins, fears, Desiring the familiar over the, over the unfamiliar. We want to pray for couples. If you're, if you're hurting right now, engaged, dating, married, I don't care. Go together to them. They won't care. This is, this is about receiving prayer. Tonight, let's receive prayer that we would come into a greater awareness of him. Go and receive prayer for a greater awareness. And that is a crucial thing that I said for us to realize the second benchmark of spiritual dependence. See, often we pray and sing for more of the Spirit. Most of our prayer meetings are more of the Spirit. But in all honesty, what we need is more awareness. Remember, a failure to see water. It's a failure to realize a running river is happening all the time. The Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 was poured out completely. Not a light sprinkling, not just a little drizzle, poured out. A basin upside down, a downpour. So tonight as we worship and sing, let us not ask for more of the Spirit, but let's offer more of ourselves to the Spirit. Can we do that? We don't want some external visitation but an internal, total preoccupation with the Spirit. I want us to, for these next few weeks, and hopefully carrying out in the future, but to do this for the next few weeks, I want to risk in the way we worship. I want us to risk in the way we worship, to stop singing about God and start singing towards God. That has been my conviction lately. That would dramatically change the way we worship, wouldn't it? The Psalms, if you have not read them before, but they are brimming with risky worship. People who lifted their arms as a sign of surrender. If we look around here and we see some people worshiping more expressively and we think, oof, boy, that, that makes me uncomfortable. Oh, that is odd. I believe when somebody worships expressively, they have realized who their God is. And they express it. They can't control themselves. They sing out. They shout God's praises. They come and kneel. I would love for that to define the way we worship our gathering, to begin to risk the way we worship. I would love for our church to be marked by expressive worship because, again, we couldn't contain ourselves. 
I want us to realize that the gathering this time, what we're doing right now, the Bible says don't neglect it because there's a spiritual potency to us gathering together. This is ripe to experience God. Yes, I said experience God. Most people get super freaked out about experiencing God. To experience God is to feel and know that his spirit is present and moving. There is nothing wrong with experiences at our gathering. In fact, we welcome them. We welcome them. But we never ask to seek an experience from God. Worship experiences come from when we seek his presence, not the experience. We'll be just as bad as the Jewish men and women who are like, give us a sign. Jesus is like, no. From seeking his presence, then we'll come and experience. And thirdly, a benchmark of a life dependence, and I'll close it here, is grateful confession for the gospel every time we gather individually as a community. We do not graduate from the gospel. That is not stage, you know, baby basics. We remind ourselves again individually and as a community every week we gather. How? Communion. The double stack cups. The bottom the bread, the top the drink, right? And guess what those represent? The bread and the drink. Anybody want to take a guess? His flesh and his blood. Gnarly, I know. But the gospel is gnarly. Sin is gnarly. And our need is mighty. Tonight, may we not fail to see living water that is the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray.